On today's show, I sit down with writer, actor, director, and TEDx global speaker, Kara Green Epstein. She is the award-winning writer and co-director of Dragonfly, streaming on Amazon Prime. On today's show, I talk to her about all things being a creative. I think that's part of the creative process too, is like holding space for an idea and like letting that be sacred and holding space for your creativity and just allowing it to show up however it shows up that day. Today, we dive into the ways in which creatives think, feel, and act. We discuss the benefits of being a free spirit and also the disadvantages that come with it. And today, you will learn how to stop self-sabotaging, why accountability is essential to reach your goals, and what to do when you fear failure. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Well, hi, and thank you for coming on here. I have really admired watching you from afar from everything that you have on TEDx all the way to what you have on Amazon. I just love your creative spirit. And so for those listening, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm uh, Kara Green Epstein. I am a writer, actor, director, Uh, general creative spirit. I do a lot of uh, teaching artistry work and um, I currently live in Los Angeles, California. We moved here during the pandemic. Before that, I was in Chicago and uh, yeah, I grew up in Minneapolis. So I'm a Midwestern girl at heart. You're probably the nicest person in LA being from Minnesota, Minneapolis, and then Illinois. I think that you're probably the nicest person out there right now. I will say, I will say that there are very lovely people here. I think that, um, I think that Los Angeles gets a bad rap. I, I really do. I, I mean, you certainly can choose to hang out with, with people who, with people who suck. But you can also, but you can do that in Chicago. You can do that anywhere. You can also find some really amazing spirits and folks and 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 a village who's really exploring their creative side. And I love nature and the outdoors and just the ability to like get to the ocean or a mountain in 45 minutes is pretty extraordinary. Yeah. I was gonna really just dive into that creative side of it because when you say who you are with your titles, you say it's with such confidence. And I love that, but I find that it takes a long time for people to really embrace their creative side and make a profession out of it. Oftentimes high school through college, people go through a traditional route and then kind of felt feel empowered to, to go creative as an adult. What was your journey like to kind of land yourself here with those such titles? That's a great question. I, so I grew up in a pretty creative household. Um, in a variety of ways. Uh, some people in my household were, in my family, were professionally creative. My grandfather started a creative innovation company around the time that I was born as sort of a second career in his, uh, when he turned 50 after having been an ad exec, sort of one of the original Mad Men for a long time. And that was all about like yes and and possibility and learning to embrace a creative mindset. So in that ways, I talk about being a creative native, like someone who's, who's like sort of been taught that from the beginning. And then my parents, even though they are both professionally attorneys, they met doing theater when my dad started a little theater company um, in Cambridge when he was in college for uh, under-resourced youth. And my mom 
uh, came to apply as the assistant director with her then boyfriend and her boyfriend decided not to do it. And then I'm here. So I, so I grew up in a really um, being, my creative side was really nurtured and I was really encouraged to do that and to explore that. And that being said, there also was a real feel, fear of failure. I grew up in a really high achieving household where intelligence and being smart was really, really important. And interestingly, as I pursued acting, which was a passion that I had had ever since I was, when I was seven, I did this uh, community theater project with my mom and afterwards the audience could ask you questions in character. And then there was a meet and greet afterwards. And I was playing a child of divorced parents and people would come up to me and they'd be like, how long have your parents been divorced? And, you know, like, and I was like, my parents are not divorced. And then I was like, oh, this is so interesting. They believed me. <laughs> That's cool. And also it was helpful. And those two things, like I've always wanted to help. And so the idea that like art can be helpful and can be a way that you are processing things was always really um, appealing to me. And when I was, my dad's sister was a professional actress for many years and I went to visit her in New York when I was 10 on my own and I just fell in love with like Broadway and the theater and, and that was what I really, really wanted to do. But as I pursued being an actor, I was often told, one, that I was too smart to be an actor. I shouldn't be an actor. I should, I should do something. I should be a producer. I should do something else that was smarter, which I thought was really interesting because I think it takes a ton of intelligence to be a creative and, and a lot of integrated intelligence, right? You need to like learn how to be in your head and your body and your heart and your spirit. And you have to be a really keen observer of everybody else too. I think that actors get a really bad rap for being super self-involved and you can be because you are constantly being vulnerable, right? You're like, I'm gonna put my whole self out there every audition and most of the time I'm not gonna get it because that's just how it works for anybody at any level of the game, which is something that I learned. So you can be self-absorbed, but most of the time, if you're doing a good job, what you're really doing is you are getting outside of yourself and you are looking at the world and you're thinking about how can I connect to this to experiences I've had, but more importantly, how can I connect and show this relationship happening in the present? How can I listen? How can I observe? Uh, because I, I bet like, as you know, as a therapist, that's how you're present, right? That's how you're really connected. That's how you can really know someone is through the listening, not through the talking. And so that actually took me a while to learn. I was a kid who always liked to speak in front of people and always had my hand raised. And so the listening part was really like a whole other doorway. So I went to, I didn't, I wanted to take a gap year and before college and be in New York for a year. And my parents said no. And so I went to Cornell University in upstate New York and con continued to pursue theater arts there while also getting this liberal arts education. And then I moved to New York and everyone said, you're too smart to be an actor. You should be a producer. So I started being a producer. And I think that being a producer can be an incredibly creative job if that is where your heart is and that's what you wanna do. Um, and if it's not, if you really want to be the, the, the creative maker of the thing. I wanted to be on stage or if you want to be a, a writer, which is what I'm doing now, or you want to be directing and you choose sort of one of these like smarter, smarter, safer, or more supportive roles, which oftentimes actually I think women tend to do um, because that's a role that we are comfortable with. Uh, you can get kind of jaded really fast. I think that is, I mean, we were talking at the beginning about like being the nicest person in LA, but, and also like my time in New York 
I think the reason that people get jaded is because they have swallowed what they really want and done what they think they should do, but they have kept themselves in, in the entertainment industry in proximity to people who are doing what they're doing. And it is very hard. That's just a very hard position to put yourself in. And so at like 23 or 24, I was moving really quickly through this theater company that I was working for and I was being promoted and I was having these cool experiences, but I was like this young, jaded person. Like I could hear it coming out of my mouth. Also, sometimes your role as a producer is to say no a lot, right? The creative gets to push and you have to say no and be realistic. And that wasn't where my spirit lived. I will say though, that my best friend at the time was working in, and still my best friend was working in news media and really wanted to be a producer. And that was her creative outlet. And she does that now. She's a Broadway producer. And that's, then that's how and that's how her creativity is expressed. So I think it's really important that when we talk about creativity, we don't just think about like, what are the typical jobs that someone does, but like, what, what makes you feel creatively fulfilled? And by that, I mean, like what opens up new worlds in your brain or gets you making connections between disparate things you wouldn't connect, you know? And for some people that's music, for some people that's math. Um, for some people, it's organization, not me. <laughs> but for some people, it's like, I can see how this works. And for me, the way that I feel creative and excited is when I'm in story and I'm, and I'm actively a part of telling a story or story making. And so then I just, I, I try and keep following that. And I will say that like, I, I fall off the wagon a lot. I, uh, I took a, a relatively corporate job five years ago because my, for financial reasons and my family needed it. And it had always sort of been my plan B. And I was always kind of doing my plan A and my plan B at the same time, which I don't recommend. Like if you wanna do plan A, go all in. And if it doesn't work or you fail, fine. But if you are always doing plan A and take plan B at the same time, you are always sort of like, you know, you have one foot on the gas and one foot at the brake simultaneously and the car's not gonna drive that well. And if you just really commit to the plan A while it's scary, uh, you have more ability. I, I look back at my career now and I'm like, oh, that was a watershed moment where I didn't realize how far along my path I was, right? I just could see that I wasn't at the top of the mountain, but I didn't realize that I was like three quarters of the way there. And so like, I tried to take this other path that felt safer because who knew if I was going to get to the top of the mountain and, it, and then I just didn't get there or I didn't get there as quickly as I wanted because I just... I, I abandoned myself on the trail. And so I'm constantly trying not to do that. This last experience was a really good one because it's a terrific job and is really creative fulfilling, creatively fulfilling for many people. It wasn't for me and it had always been my plan B and doing that and then leaving because it wasn't working sort of burned that other trail for me. Like it allowed me to be like, oh, that plan B isn't actually there anymore and it's not where I wanna be. So I need to like stay on this path and see what's next and see what what shows up. And, and that means that like, I've had a gazillion jobs. I've had like 30 or 40 different jobs because the creative path, you know, depending on where you are, it doesn't always pay very well. When I've had national commercials running or something, that's great, that's paying really well. But if you're in a spell where like, things aren't happening, then you're like, you know, nannying for your friend's kids while also writing copy for an ad firm while also, you know, I don't know what are the, I was a receptionist for Weight Watchers for a little while or like while also doing whatever it happens to be. So 
that's a long answer, but that is what I would say is that I fall off the wagon all the time in terms of my confidence. And then I have to get back on because I just have to get back on or I, or I don't show up as my best self or even a very good version of myself after a while. Do you think that accountability plays a big piece in that where if you're on your own making your own course, but there's not someone there alongside you consistently every day and has known your past and has knows your goals and like knows you, do you think that accountability becomes a problem because then it's just you and yourself pushing yourself, even on the days where you don't want to, and you kind of slip behind? Yes. Accountability is huge. And I actually have like tried to hire people before to help hold me accountable. My husband is so lovely and wonderful, but that is not where he lives. He's like a really wonderful cheerleader, um, but he is not like comfortable sort of being that like boot camp instructor where I have found the most success. And I'm in this place right now on these two different projects as I have two different writing partners on each. I have a writing partner on each, a different one on each project. And they are such an engine and are so good at accountability. And that is such a great partnership for me to be in because I'm, if, when I'm accountable to someone else or someone else is holding me accountable, it is incredibly helpful. And one of the most challenging things, especially about being a writer, but also was something that I struggled with as an actor because I was totally present and showed up when I was in rehearsal, but there's all this work that you need to do at home outside of rehearsal. And I was not great at getting that work done. Yeah. I think that's going to be like a really common experience with people who are super creative. They have great ideas, high energy, and then there's a fall off point because that energy can't be sustained every single day. It's almost this like, you know, this like micromania where you just kind of hit a high and you go, go, go. But then there's that like fall off point and it's super normal to have a fall off point, but when you have no one to catch you because you're not in an office or you're not on a team, then you fall off and you keep falling and you keep falling and you keep falling. And then you can't get back to where you were because it's going to take a lot of time and energy and that sense of failure kind of comes in. So to have an accountability piece to that is super important. If you're a creative who's high energy, because you've got to kind of realize at some point that that energy is not sustainable alone. So a writing partner is a great example of, of a person who can do that. If you're on your own, I know that there's a lot of, a lot of writing clubs for people who are writing like fiction books, um, study groups for people who are wanting to stay on top of like political science, current events, things like that. So I, I think that one of the most important things that you're saying right now is that where there's a will, there's a way being very passionate, being very driven to meet your goals and your dreams is great. And what kind of can get in the way often is when you're alone and Mm -hmm. when you're isolated in your journey, that sounds to me almost impossible to really sustain a journey to be alone. I think it can be really hard. I mean, there are a lot of writers who love being alone, who thrive in being alone, and I think still wish for a sense of community. I have a writer's group that I curated. I was like, these are the people that I love, that I would love to see. And we meet um, every week um, and twice every other week to share our work. And, And we check in, we had evening meetings and then we started 
instigating this uh, once, once a week morning meeting on Wednesdays so that we would actually get after it, right? Like, cause it was like, it's one thing to meet at the end of the day and be like, oh, this is where I'm at or this is what I did. It's another thing to like set the intention at the beginning of the day and have people who are gonna hold you accountable, right? So we meet on Wednesday morning, we get clear about like, okay, what are you working on right now? And then we check back in like three hours and we're like, how'd that go? Now um, is the ultimate goal when you're doing those is to get picked up for a show or get picked up for whatever you're trying to get? Yeah, so for me, because I'm a television writer, uh, that's the goal for for these things. Now you can also like get into a writer's room where TV shows are written, which I would actually love and 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 I'm working towards right now because then you have like built-in accountability and you're creating and playing in a room with other people and that's so great and you're showing up, but you're also always creating your own stuff. So right now I have a couple of projects that I'm pitching to different production companies and pitching to different studios. And the goal is that they'll buy that. And then the hope is that they'll make that. And it is an incredibly humbling and exciting process. I'm in the really exciting part right now. Things are like going really quickly. And last week they were not right. So it is like, it is this, it is, um, it, nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden everything's happening. And then at some point, nothing will be happening again, but it doesn't mean that nothing is actually happening because things, all of the work builds on the work. And that is what I'm really learning. And I'm also learning because I tend to be kind of a bingy personality. Like I like to do it all at once. And I'm like, if I can't get it all done, why would I do it? So like a piece of the desk will be dirty and will have been dirty for a month. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, I got to clean the desk today. And then the whole bedroom is cleaned and I've reorganized the fridge. And I've like, that's how I am about everything or a script. Like I will have, I'll put off writing something for six weeks and then I'll like, spend two weeks just like knocking it out, going to bed late, like doing those types of things, which is a totally valid thing to do. And and I used to beat myself up for it. And now I'm like, all right, well, that is an aspect of my personality. And I am learning that being the tortoise, I have like a big sign actually above my desk that says, don't forget, you can also be the tortoise, which just means that like, I can do an hour every day. If I put in an hour each day on a project, Yeah. I always say to do one hard thing a day. And sometimes that hard thing is getting out of bed and showering and putting on a pair of clothes or even blow drying your hair. And then another time doing a hard thing is submitting an application to something that odds are you probably aren't going to get it all the way to, I don't know, hiring or firing people. I mean, your hard thing can be whatever you decide that day, but if you do one hard thing a day towards your goals, you're proving to yourself over and over again that you're willing to do, you're willing to do the hard work in order to get to that goal. And I think it's what I'm hearing you say is like, sometimes you don't do that hard thing every single day because it falls off, but with your accountability group and your writers, things like that, that's enough for you to have to do enough hard things every day to, you know, produce what you want to produce. And that's really amazing. Yeah. And some patience, you know, just being like a little bit each day on the same thing, six months from now is a real thing. Both of these projects I'm pitching right now are things that I committed to spending one hour or like two hours a week on. And I started doing that in the spring and now they're like really fully fleshed out, amazing things. And I, and I just have to constantly remind myself, right. That this, this is going somewhere. This does do something and then I'm like, why don't I do this in the rest of my life? And then I'm like, stop beating yourself up. 
And then I'm like, stop beating yourself up, but beating yourself up. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, right. You just start to like beat yourself up for beating yourself up. And it's just yeah. that vicious cycle. And it's like, just be proud that you did this. Like you're doing this behavior. Let's keep doing it. This holiday season is officially upon us, and what better gift to give than the gift of personal growth? This time of year can be so fulfilling, but can also leave you feeling exhausted with no opportunity for self-care. My BU Planner Series is the perfect antidote to all the holiday stress, giving you and your loved ones the space to keep your cup full and grow anytime and anywhere. Through the course of the five 30-day planners, five minutes a day, these planners are designed to set you up for a lifetime journey of growth. Each of the five planners includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space to practice what you've learned. These planners help you build self-awareness, reduce judgment, respond to your environment calmly and confidently, strengthen relationships, and achieve big and small goals. Give the gift that keeps on giving this season. Visit buplanner.com, that's B-E-E-Y-O-U, planner.com and use the code well not perfect at checkout to get 10% off any order. Let's head into this new year with growth, intention and resilience. One of the things that I really think about a lot in love is um Shonda Rhimes talks about how getting to writing for her, it feels like from her kitchen to um her chair at her desk where she writes, it's like running, um, running a mile or like running, running that first mile, which I totally identify with because I used to be a runner. And when I did that first mile was always the hardest for me. And she'll be like, you have to get through, like, I have to get through all of my doubts and I have to get through all of the reasons why of the other things I could be doing or the other things I should be doing or whatever is happening. And then I have to sit down and then I have to open my computer. And then I have to like, what's the idea going to be? And then I have to get over the expectations. And then finally like 20 minutes in you drop in and this is also my experience it's also my experience on when I'm acting especially when I'm on my own though like if I'm working on a script on my own or if I'm directing and I'm and I'm breaking down a script or I'm thinking about like how are we shooting this uh it is hard to get into the work and I always have to remind myself right these first 20 minutes suck I like how you just said, like, I drop in. I like that a lot. Like it's sort of like you, you like drop in the driver's seat and then you're driving, but it's hard. I don't know if you know, I wrote five self-help planners and each one builds on the other. So I have five, it's called the BU planner series, um, kind of spun off of our counseling practice called simply be counseling. And I absolutely get the writing the first mile, opening the computer. It is so freaking hard. It's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because I can do something once or twice, but I almost kind of lose the novelty and the excitement of it. And I lose interest pretty fast if something's not like new and shiny. So I've had to kind of automate it because I'm very used to being scheduled for clients. Like I don't get old or bored with that. It just has become a very deep routine for me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, once it stops becoming bright and shiny, I'm going to put it into like this automation sort of automatic scheduling. So I don't even have to gear myself up for it. It just shows up on my calendar. I have people around me who make me get it done. 
I create these really intense timelines or I will sell or promise something that's not even created yet and have a contract or have a pay something that's been paid for already that hasn't been created just because that will motivate me. So I've created these really intense, high risk experiences when I'm creating and writing because I want to sell it and I want to get a contract before I'm done. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's probably for everybody, but I've sold everything I've ever created. I've sold before it's been done. That's awesome. And it definitely makes you get it done because otherwise, I mean, I care very much about respect and I'd never want to lose someone's respect. So I will do it. Yeah. But I'll let myself down if it's just me. If I'm the only one that knows my goals, if I'm the only one that knows what I want to be doing, I'll for sure not do it. And I think a lot of people might look at successful people and be like, how are they doing that? Like, how do they keep themselves motivated? How do they wake up every morning? Like what it, what do they have that I don't? And, um, my, for me, what I have that maybe other people don't is other people relying on me to a point where I have no choice. Mm-hmm. I have clients, I have employees, I have deadlines and contracts and partnerships that I have to show up. And that's been accumulated over time, but just to normalize for everyone that if the deadline or the goal is just me, myself, and I, I let myself down all the time. Yeah. It's so hard. And it's such a bummer that like, we are the person we're most willing to let down. Yes. Um, what is that? That is so rough. That like, it's not that it will, that if we show up for ourselves, we won't be able to show up for others where I find when I show up for myself, I show up so much better for others because when I am feeling confident, when I'm feeling good, when I'm feeling creative and, uh, and fulfilled, I am so much kinder. I am so much more generous. I'm also so much more, um, empathetic because I'm not feeling all of these other things. And I'm much more patient and able to allow people to also come to me at where they're at without having to fix or solve them. I have, I am a recovering fixer, like, I am, like you know, like, I'm really like, what's wrong and how can I help you come up with, how can I fix this project problem for you? When like so often it's just like, Hey, can I help you hold space and, um, and holding. And I think that's part of the creative process too, is like holding space for an idea and like letting that be sacred and holding space for your creativity and just allowing it to show up however it shows up that day, right? Sometimes it shows up for me, I have to go on a walk. I like have to get into nature. I have to get go out. And I sometimes I'll start by listening to a podcast and then I'll turn it off or I'll totally actually zone out and the podcast will keep going, but I'm thinking totally other thoughts now because that's the space that my creativity needs. Sometimes the space that my creativity needs is like, you need to sit down and actually start writing and working on this like very specific pitch doc or whatever it is that you're working on and get these things to this person, these people. And cause your creativity needs like some structure today. Um, or sometimes it's like a dance party because I need to do something that's, you know, that's different. My creativity does not show up in the kitchen, but it sure does for my husband, which is great. Like he's, he's, big into baking bread now and he's big into like finding the recipe and doing all these things and and I have to remind myself that like that's how he's getting creative these days and that's and that's really great 
but can I point out something that you just said that is everything. It's everything to being successful, whatever that means to you. And that is to be aware of what you need, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, what is going on with your body. You have to be aware. And it's not, it's, it's no coincidence that the first planner that I wrote is called become aware. And there's five steps. The first one is that, and those who want to do big things in their lives, and that might be comparatively small or large to somebody else, you know, cause we all have different goals. We all have different measures of what success is. So I'm going to say that in a very vague way, you know, everyone is trying to do their best that they can, but if they're not aware of how they think, feel physical sensations and the urges they have to fix their problems or to avoid their problems, if they're not aware of those four things, they're never going to become the person that they are capable of being, but all too often we don't look inward and kind of figure out why do I feel this way? What is in my mind? How am I feeling? We look outward, right? We, we focus on other people. We focus on other things. A lot of people focus on money and that gets them to careers that they don't like. But if we become aware, we know today I need structure for my creativity. Like you said, today I need to get loose and relaxed out in the wilderness. I need to sit in my bed and sleep in and have coffee in bed and cancel my meeting. You know, we have to become aware of who we are and what we want. And I think I've taken that for granted my whole life. I think that my best gift and natural talent has that. I know myself very, very well, and I've done things I'm not proud of. I've done things that like, despite knowing a little bit better in my gut, I've made, you know, poor decisions or said things that weren't kind. I'm, I'm not perfect, but I've always known myself. And so I thought it was kind of normal. I thought that was just how everybody was. And then as I got older, I realized that that's not true. And then I became a therapist and I realized I was doing the same thing in therapy with most people for the first six weeks, the same thing. So I thought I'm going to put this in a book because I can give this to my client. And I wrote it for a client and all my clients so that they could get through the first six sessions by themselves at home. So that by the time they come to me, they're like on session seven. Right. And that's what I did. I was like, let's speed this up. We right. need to become aware. Let's go. So I just feel like with, with everything that you're saying, your talent and your gift to yourself is that you are very, very aware of like how you are productive, how you're not productive, what you're doing well, what you're not doing well, the self-talk that you have, like you coach yourself. Like I can hear and see all of those things. And a lot of people do not have that. If you don't, planner, but if you can have that, then the next level is, you know, more mindfulness, more observing, more awareness of the things, but from a distance. So you're not so attached to your emotions. You're not so attached to your thoughts. And I just wanted to point out that, like, I see you as a very aware person and that I think you should, you know, just really kind of appreciate and, and acknowledge because, obviously it's going to probably get you so much further than where you could be if you didn't know. I think, yeah, I, I think so. And I think it's, it's been a lot of work and it's been really good and, and really helpful and really important to remember that like, not everybody is there and not everybody is that aware and, and that's okay too. And not my job to fix them again, recovering fixer. 
<laughs> not my job to make them aware. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I am exactly. not, I don't know, you know, I love that, that meme graphic, whatever that shows, you know, like a, a long timeline or whatever, and then a little section of it. And it says, you know, what people are going through is the long piece and what you know about it is the small piece. And I really like try and remember that. And, and especially for my characters, like that's so much of writing and creativity too, is like, there's all this back work that you do. There's all of this work and there's this tiny piece that people are gonna see of what actually was done. But you just have to trust that all of that work that you did um, is gonna be necessary for that like one little piece to shine. And I think that that's- So uh, crazy, crazy. I mean, I think, I think when people see or a writer, producer, an actor, actress, you see that and you see such a small sliver of what it took for them to get there. And that does get taken for granted. I mean, people don't see that. And that's so true for, you know, the cashier at the grocery store for the doctor you see in the doctor's office, you know, it's like every human gets judged on that, like tiny little sliver, but there's all this like backstory for how they got there and, and all of that. And obviously as a therapist, that's, my favorite thing in the world to do is to figure out what people's backstories are and like dig into that stuff and go beyond the superficial, you know, getting past that. And obviously it's probably why podcasting is so popular right now. Right. It gives you an hour to dive into something that gets 15 seconds on TV. Yeah. And you can really like, you're in the conversation with someone and you, and you can be listening and you can apply it to your own life. It's a very, um, I find it to be like such an empowering medium because I'm also not stuck and I don't have to be looking so I can be in the world in a different way. And so it really feels like a conversation and there are different ways to take in the world, right? And, mm. and, and activating different senses is such a good way to do that, you know? Sometimes, sometimes it's just about like, do I want something hot? Do I want something cold? Can you create a show on a podcast platform with a bunch of characters, but like not see them? Is that a thing? Yeah, absolutely. There, do there, that? Are of, there are tons of narrative podcasts, first of all, which are like that. They're like old radio plays, right? That's what, what, what we had before we had TV is the whole family would gather around the radio and listen to these radio dramas come to life or these radio comedies come to life. And then, and now we get to like take them in our ears. And that's so fun. My kids listen to a ton of that stuff. Like my kids. What's listen. your favorite? What's your favorite podcast? My favorite podcast. Oh my gosh such a good question. I um, am a big Brene Brown fan. I love Unlocking Us. So that's like one of my very favorite podcasts. I listen to this great podcast called Script Notes, which is a, a podcast about screenwriting and things that are interesting to screenwriters. And these guys have been doing it for 10 years and everyone has been on it. And it's just a really fantastic dive. Mike Birbiglia, the comedian, has a podcast called Working It Out, where he invites on uh, a different comedian each time and they talk about like how their creative process and they work out bits that they haven't figured out yet and I just love like getting to listen to being in the messy middle of that and I also love it because comedy and tragedy are two sides of the same coin so it's like it's the same situation it's just how you look at it and I feel like you really get that you hear because comedians often have a lot of like trauma or dealing with really big issues and they just have a, a funny take on them or a way of surprising you um, and delighting you with them. And so I love that podcast. And then there's the screenwriting life. And I love that. I love It's Been a Minute with Sam Sanders. <laughs> I love, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm not going to lie. It's my yeah, new, it's my too. new, my husband loves them. 
and I used to make fun of him for a really long time. And then the pandemic hit. I was, I was the early adapter. I was like serial probably four or five years ago Mm -hmm. was the first real big one that splashed. And I've been doing true crime ever since. So I'm in the true crime category. Oh my gosh. It's huge. And there's so many podcasts that are becoming shows now. Homecoming came like, came up through that. Like there's a lot of like Dr. Death. Yeah. That's like a whole thing. Absolutely. That's crazy. I have to shout out also, if you have kids, anyone listening, the story pirates are so fantastic. They're this uh, musical improv group from New York and they take stories written by kids and turn them into uh, live uh, musicals basically, but oh, and it, they are so great. So my kids listen to one like every night before they go to sleep and them on long road trips. And I'm such a fan. I love that. Yeah. I've searched kids podcasts just to kind of quickly distract my kids. And, um, there's one with a green dragon that's like in the background. And I don't, I think it's just like story time or something like that, but it makes my son just zone out and listen. And then when he zones out and listens, he doesn't mess with my daughter. And then my daughter relaxes, even though she doesn't listen to it, it just diffuses like the whole backseat dynamic between the two of them. You know what I just saw on TV today on Netflix, probably they made a cartoon for Ada Twist, the scientist, Rosie Revere, and the third little boy. They've got these great yeah. books. There's a show on them now, and the main character is Ada Twist. I totally, I, there's a Love huge that. It, that I keep driving by in LA for it, and it's so cool. And I'm so sad that I think my kids are a little old for it now, but it feels like the perfect, like, I know my daughter's in the perfect age for it. And we always talked about Rosie Revere and Ada Twist and it was really inspiring to see that just because a person of color, a female of color being the main yeah. character. And yeah, it just made me just lovely to see. All right, man. I feel like we covered a lot. You taught me a lot. I'm really taking these mental notes about what you're saying. So where can people find you when they want to kind of dig in and find all your good stuff? We have you in the show notes, but, um, sure, anywhere, sure. yeah. Yeah. You can tweet at me. I'm Kara green 37 at Twitter, C-A-R-A-G-R-E-E-N-E three, seven. Um, that's also my Instagram handle. So you can find me there. Kara green Epstein. I'm on Facebook until I'm not, but probably always because I'm too much of an extrovert. <laughs> and then my website is karagreenepstein.com. So you can find me in all of those places. You can watch Dragonfly on Amazon, which is my independent feature film that I wrote and produced and co-directed. And you can watch my TED Talk, which is uh, how theater weathers wars, outlasts empires, and survives pandemics, which is about building a more beautiful world together on stage and off and taking breaks and using breaks to build the next thing. Those are all ways that you can that you can find me in the world or if you go to the beach, you might find me there because I really love the ocean. Or if you go uh, hiking. Good. Okay. So thanks again for having the time and the energy to be with us today. And for listeners, thank you for listening. And we will see you next time. This is Bye. another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for listening to season two. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information on all things podcast, check us out at Instagram, well, not perfect, and DM us any questions you have 
and content that you'd love to see this season. See you next week.